walked through ancient forests and skirted the Orkney coastline, and now in the final episode of The Lore of the Land, the medieval literature scholar Caroline Larrington examines the creatures of British folklore that are said to dwell on the farm. I'm walking down the Valley of Glaisdale, which runs from the North York Moors down to the lovely green valley of the River Esk, Estdale. We're just a little bit inland from the little Yorkshire fishing town of Whitby, and we've come here to Harthall Farm. We're in search of a particular kind of household spirit, which is called a hob, and I've got here Rose Rylands, who's a local storyteller. Rose, can you tell us what a hob actually is? Well, the hob is a small dwarf-like being. They say that they're covered in shaggy hair, they have large, hairy feet and they take up residence on certain farms. They stay there for often generations and they help out around the farm. They are rarely seen, they like to work in secret, they don't like to be watched. Well, let's head on down the lane here to Hart Hall Farm at the bottom and let's see if we can actually find this hob. So here we are in the actual farm itself and it's the usual signs of farm life all around here. There's tractors, trailers, pallets, all sorts of outbuildings. It's a dairy farm these days, so there are cows and calves around. And we're just going to go around the corner here to the right, to the actual barn where the hob is supposed to have done his work. So here we are actually in the barn and it's uh, an old stone building with low wooden rafters and a kind of platform up above our heads. And there are also some beautiful dairy calves in here, some little black and white Frisians and some lovely mushroom and white coloured calves and they're watching us very intently. And so Rose, according to the story, then what was it that the hob used to do here in this very barn? Well, there is a famous story that the Hob of Harthall Farm once rescued a bumper harvest. The men were bringing in the cartloads of hay from the fields and towards the end of the day, when there was still much work to be done, the cart got stuck on the track. Its wheel got lodged between two stones. And shove and push and grunt as they would, they could not free that cart and they didn't have time enough before dark to unload it and reload it. Right at that time, the clouds came over, hard, heavy storm clouds. But they were forced eventually to give up. They could no longer work because they couldn't see what they were doing, so they had to go back to the farm and just pray that the rain stayed away overnight. No sooner were the men asleep in their beds than the hob set off down the track. And he freed that cart with his superhuman strength in one almighty shove, pushed it all the way back to the farm. And not only that, he unloaded the hay, he stacked it neatly and prepared the cart for the next day. Well, he sounds like the ideal helper to have on a farm, doesn't he, Rose? But why is he not still working here at Hart Hall Farm? One night, a young farm lad was coming past the farm. Around midnight, a time when a hob likes to work, and he heard the threshing, he heard the beat of the swipple. And inside, he saw this small, wizened-faced, hairy-backed man with his big hairy feet, wearing nothing. He was completely naked. Well, this farm lad went away and the next day told his friends this story. And they all were so impressed by these skills, the strength of the loyalty and the hard work of the hob that they decided to give him a gift. So they clubbed together and they bought him a work shirt, something that would keep him warm in these freezing cold winds of the North York Moors. They couldn't understand how a, 
how a hob could be naked like this. So they bought a new work shirt, nice leather belt to go around it, and they left it in the barn. And the following night, they all gathered and they all peeked through the cracks in the wall of the barn to see the hob receive his gift. And the hob picked up the shirt and looked at it and he said, Gin hob money now, but a hard in hemp. Come near me, now that a bury no stamp. And what does that mean? It means if a hob must have nothing more than a rough work shirt, he'll never come again, neither to thresh nor to stamp. And he was never seen again. The Reverend Atkinson, who recorded this story in the later 19th century, assumes that the hob was upset by only getting a coarse hemp tunic instead of a fine linen shirt. But usually in these kinds of stories, it's the provision of clothing itself which causes offence. Not only does the hob not like the idea that he's been spied on, but the giving of clothing, however kindly meant, is an insult. Before wages were paid in money to farm labourers, they would be paid in kind. Food, drink, lodging, and a suit of new clothes at New Year. To give the hob an outfit was to put him on the level of a hired hand, instead of a spirit who freely gave his labour out of kindliness and his long association with the farm. That was something he wouldn't put up with, and off he goes elsewhere. The Hobbs and their close cousins, the Brownies, are related to another folkloric character known as Puck or Robin Goodfellow, a mischief-making shape-changer who interferes with household duties. He's described in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. One of Oberon's fairy followers identifies him and accuses him of taking the cream off the milk preventing the butter from coagulating and stopping beer from fermenting. Either I mistake your shape and making quite, or else you are that shrewd and knavish sprite called Robin Goodfellow. Are you not he that frights the maidens of the villagery, skim milk and sometimes labour in the corn, and bootless make the breathless housewife churn, and sometime make the drink to bear no balm, mislead night-wanderers laughing at their harm? Those that hobgoblin call you and sweet puck, you do their work, and they shall have good luck. Are you not he? To which puck responds... Thou speakest aright, I am that merry wanderer of the night. I jest to Oberon and make him smile when I a fat and bean-fed horse beguile, neighing in likeness of a filly foal, and sometime lurk I in a gossip's bowl in very likeness of a roasted crab, and when she drinks against her lips I bob, and on her withered dewlap pour the ale. The wisest aunt, telling the saddest tale, sometime for three-foot stool mistaketh me. Then slip I from her bum, down topples she, and Taylor cries and falls into a cough. And then the whole choir hold their hips and laugh, and waxen in their mirth, and knees and swear. A merrier hour was never wasted there. If you address him politely and call him sweet puck, he'll work for you like the hob. 
though sometimes he causes minor accidents, spilling old women's drink down their fronts or pretending to be a three-legged stool and sliding out from under them. You may be thinking that spirits like Hobbs and Brownies are more trouble than they're worth, but the farmer who loses his, whether through misjudged kindness or grudging miserliness, is always sorry afterwards. These creatures fulfil a fantasy of the hard-pressed farmer, a labourer who doesn't need paying, scarcely eats, and who works all night for the farm's good. The hop has other roles in the local folklore here in Yorkshire, and so we've left behind Harthall Farm and its hob, and we've now come ten miles over to the little fishing village of Runswick Bay, just a bit north of Whitby. And we're coming down onto the beach now, and up ahead of me, along the beach, I can see a cliff face, and in it there's something that looks like a mysterious cave. So I've made my way down the beach, and now I'm standing outside the cave itself, and I'm just going to creep inside and see what we can find. Our local storyteller, Rose Rylands, is still with me. So, Rose, tell me, what are we doing crouching in this cave? Well, this is no ordinary cave. This is known as the Hob Hole of Runswick Bay. And local folk believed that a hob lived in this cave who ran a sort of a surgery. And the local women would bring their poorly children down here to be cured by the hob and he was renowned for curing whooping cough and in those days it was called kink cough and they would come down and they would recite lines from a verse they would say hob hole hob hob hole hob my bairn's got the kink cough take it off take it off and was the hob effective then at curing the children well, it is believed he was. I do know this, that on the local ordnance survey map, the Hobbs Cave is still marked as the Hobbs Surgery. So, who's to say? The tradition of the helpful spirit is very widespread in British folklore. When you move into an Orkney homestead, you're well advised to go and introduce yourself to the hog boon and perhaps take some milk and oat cakes as an offering. The Hogboon is a protective spirit presiding over the luck of the farm and he lives in a mound in the field nearest the house. His name is Norse in origin, so he probably arrived along with the Vikings. He doesn't do any actual work, but if he isn't respected, if children play or if cattle graze on his mound, then the farm and its inhabitants won't thrive. So we're back from the beach and the sea caves at Runswick Bay and we're here back in cosy Hart Hall Farm. Now, Rose, not all the spirits of the home and farm are quite as helpful and positive as the hob of Hart Hall, the one who lived here, are they? No, there was a hob out at Farndale. They called him the Boggart of Farndale. A Boggart is a, a mischievous hob. Sometimes they can be quite evil. But the Boggart of Farndale was known for causing havoc on the farm. He'd been there for generations, but something had caused him to take offence. And he'd turned from helpful to hindering. He got up to all sorts of mischief, turned the milk sour, ruined the crops. They say he even sent the foxes in for the hens. And eventually the farmer decided he was just going to have to move and leave this hob behind. So he packed up, lock, stock and barrel. He moved over the other side of the dale and he came back for one last cartload of bits and bats 
And just as he was leaving, a neighbour came and said, Oh, you're off then, Jonathan. He said, Aye, we're flitting. And to his absolute horror, the lid of a milk churn on the cart behind him lifted up and outpoked the mischievous face of the hob himself, who said, Aye, we're flitting. These tales of household spirits reflect on the hardness of agricultural life in bygone years, of the benefit that just a little improvement in the farmer's luck could bring, whether it was getting the corn threshed a few days early or having the hay neatly stooped, ready to be used for cattle fodder. They ask us, too, to think about workers and bosses, about how those who work should be treated by those who manage. And when the boggart sabotages the farmer's efforts, that may also reflect on labour relations. How we treat other people, in the house and in the workplace, is central to these stories. This was the last of our journeys through the folklore of the British landscape. We've walked alongside supernatural creatures, kindly beings and vicious fiends. The folktales we've heard explore gender, cultural difference and power. As a result, they have an enduring relevance to our lives. And today, whether we live in the countryside or the city, we still feel these old tales somewhere deep in our bones. And that was the final episode of The Law of the Land, which was presented by Caroline Larrington and produced by Max O'Brien. It was a Juniper production, and you can catch up with all the previous episodes via the Radio 4 website.